1: Hello, my name is James Alexander Sinclair and I am an RHS judge and council member and I am standing here at the 20th Tanton Park Flower Show uh, in Cheshire. Uh, and I have, I have been here for the last couple of days where I've been judging gardens and doing all the sort of nice privileged things that one's allowed to do if one is a judge. You have to take the flack if you're a judge, but the other thing is you get to go and look at gardens in much more detail than any of the public will ever do. So it's, you know, it's swings and roundabouts to a certain extent. Um, you should all come to Tatton Park if you have time go and buy a ticket now there are tickets available and the show is open until Sunday Uh, and I'm going to give you a list of things that you must do when you get here and the first thing you should do is to go and look at the poison garden Now, this isn't a garden that we've judged it's actually a feature which means that it's big and enormous and exciting and it's got a theatre in the middle of it where people will come and talk about poisonous plants and there are a number of poisonous plants that you wouldn't expect to be poisonous that are exhibited there things that are just in your garden which are fine to look at fine to grow just don't lick any of them if you can possibly avoid it. Things like uh, aconites, sort of monks' hoods is quite an obvious obvious one. Uh, Rhubarb itself, not the rhubarb sticks, but the rhubarb leaves are poisonous, and rhododendrons and all sorts of other things. So if you want to come and learn about poisonous plants, this is the place to be. Thing number two, that you go and look at, is something that Tatton has been famous for for the last 20 years, and it's the only show where you get what we call back-to-back gardens. Little groups, four gardens, as the name suggests, back to back. So little tiny things. So all of them are very, very achievable and very, very accessible, which means that you can come and you can find something. You can actually replicate the entire garden in most people's gardens because they're little bits or little corners. So some of them are modern. Some of them are traditional. Some of them are full of plants. Some of them are much more sort of full of hard landscaping. So there's a whole load of those sort of things that you should come and have a look at. The third thing that you must look at, obviously, is the floral marquee because it would be a sin. In fact, I think actually it may be an arrestable offence to come to a flower show and not go into the floral marquee and glory in the wares and all the various nurses that have come here so that is three things to keep you going for the moment
2: my name is Simon Tetlow I'm head gardener at Old Tatten Park every year we put on a show garden or a show feature for the RHS show which is you know one of the highlights of our year you know it's kind of it's the zenith of the year for us and it's kind of it's that just celebration of gardening that the RHS is fantastic at doing and it's a great way of us of advertising Tatton. You know, here here we are in a kind of thousand-year-old deer park. We're kind of surrounded by 2,000 acres of parkland and we're on this tiny little island here of gardens surrounded by this wonderful backdrop that, that is Tatton Park. This year, we're celebrating all things food, the whole story of food at Tatton Park. We've called it Field to Fork. It is this idea of the farm reinterpreting its story of history of kind of progressive farming, this idea that Tatton has been a kind of pioneering organisation with farming. The Edgerton family here were heavily involved with modern farming techniques. It's a small community, you know, and it was a self-sufficient community. It was it's a deer park of 500 deer, there's flocks of sheep and cattle and pigs and kitchen gardens and orchards. We've got everything a supermarket's got and more. And it's all about telling this to our customers. And Fields of Walk at the farm this year is really just kind of opening its doors to reinterpret that story. Gardening's been going on here since about 1730. And each family member has left a bit of a garden behind. We've got a maze that dates from 1730, a really early hornbeam maze, and then you can take it up to the tree fern collection, brought back by Randall Edgerton in Charles Randall Edgerton in 1858. The original tree ferns there, and you're kind of walking into kind of primordial New Zealand rainforest and it's had a trip around the world and it's all still there and you know we do a wonderful job at creating this kind of world story of gardens and, and that's really what it's about it's kind of stepping back in time but it's kind of the Eden project of 100 years ago.
3: Sue Biggs here and I'm Director General of the RHS and I'm sitting here actually at Tatton Park Flower Show up in beautiful Cheshire and the show's just opened and it looks absolutely wonderful and people are coming in, it's beautiful weather, everybody's smiling, it's great fun. It's our 20th anniversary up here which is really fabulous that you know the people of the Northwest have really supported this show, celebrated this show and see so many people coming in to help us celebrate the 20 year anniversary is great, really great. For me, it always feels like a, a more like a country fair. It really is owned by the local communities, I think, and you know, I. I, I I actually think, and I know I'm biased because I'm a northerner too, but I actually think the welcome up here is so warm and the the sense of fun and humour here is just great. So I think it feels very much. We've got lots of local designers, lots of local nurseries. People don't have that far to come. So it's really great for that local feel of people getting to know each other and arranging to meet up next year again. So, no, I think it's a very special show and we've got some such exciting content this year we've got another anniversary at the show actually this year which is the 10th anniversary of the Young Designer of the Year this Northwest show is the real breeding ground for real talent then progressing in their careers many of whom have ended up coming into chelsea hugo bug Tamara bridge uh, sam ovens who else tony woods all of them appearing at chelsea i've just come in from the young designer of the year announcing the results for the 10th anniversary for 2018 and will williams has done the most fabulous garden and he's only 22 and has won young designer of the year so that young man has got a fantastic career ahead of him for me, this year, almost more than any other, I, I think our nurserymen and growers in this country we should all be so proud of. The marquee here looks stunning absolutely stunning. The variety of plants, the unusual plants, the quality of the plants and when you consider these nurserymen have coated the beast from the east all the way through to this super high temperatures and lack of water and still the plants both in the marquee and in the gardens looks amazing. British Horticulture and the British public should be really proud of our
4: nurserymen. They are amazing. My name is Nicola Oki. I'm one of the young designers this year at Tatton Park and my garden is called Raised by Rivers. The garden is all based around water that's the sort of main theme and the central area in the garden is a big oak deck and then around that there's a pond that sort of hugs the decking and surrounding the whole garden is lots of lovely sort of nature inspired planting originally the brief we were given was to make a garden that made people feel good and i was thinking about sort of something that everyone seems to connect to and that was water the competition was really important as a chance for me to just create something on my own as a garden designer and it was just I wanted it to be a really big confidence boost that I could put planting together and that I could organise a show build and work with a big team. So it was just about sort of having the whole experience, throwing myself in at the deep end and just sort of taking what I could from it. I think what's lovely about Tatton is that it's a real show for gardeners. There's so many ideas here that people genuinely can take home and it's got a nice family atmosphere as well. So it's not just about sort of the biggest and best show gardens it's also about the school gardens and getting kids involved and just sort of a nice family atmosphere
1: my name is nathan mann and um we've came here today for Tatton rhs our building is down at the croft primary one um, we've made like mini lily pads a bridge and um the backdrop is like a house basically and um We've put all these plants around it to make it look nice for the bees and stuff. So what we've done is we've got plant pots and we've got like little cup holders like that. And we've just put it down and then we've put like little um, water lilies on. We're hoping we get some frogs or something. As a special treat, today on the first day of Tatlin, we are recording a special live version of the podcast in the Beehive Theatre with Matt Biggs. Members of the audience asking questions, being answered by experts, everything you could possibly want. You sadly cannot be here, but you will be able to listen to it in the luxury of your bath, car or sitting room. So let's wander off past the musicians and join them now.
5: Good afternoon to you, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Matthew Biggs. I'm currently writing a book for the RHS and often work for them at the flower shows. And you know what? It's always fun. So let's introduce you to our panel. We have uh, Tony Dickerson. Tony actually works for the RHS in an advisory capacity and probably has answered more questions about so many different plants than anybody else in the universe. We also have Mark Diacono. Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself because you're not only a writer and photographer, but you grow unusual vegetables.
6: I grow lots of uh, edibles. So it can be spices, nuts, fruit, vegetables. Um, many of them aren't available in the shops because I feel like there's a whole world of flavour and loveliness out there. So uh, I buy all the cheap disease-prone stuff and I grow all the delicious things like mulberries and Sichuan pepper and pecans that, um, that you can only have if you grow them yourself, if you want them at their best. Uh, and the last but, of course, not least, member of our
5: panel is uh, Leah. Leah Leanditz. Leah... You grow in a small garden. Tell us a little bit about your small garden and reveal some of the secrets.
7: Yeah, I've got a garden in Bristol, um, which is just sort of crammed full of lots of ornamental stuff and lots of edible stuff too, just trying to sort of grow probably too much altogether. And then I've got an allotment as well, just up the road where I've got a polytunnel and can grow a few uh, bits and pieces. When you go
5: to your allotment, do you go in the car or push your barrow down the street?
7: I push my barrow down Fantastic. the streets of Bristol. It's only two streets away, so oh, that, <laughs> I've got no so excuse. That
5: reminds me of my childhood when my mother forced me, aged about 10, to go and, and go collect manure from the farm nearby. So I was parading up and down the streets with barrows of manure. Fortunately, life has improved and the gardening has too. Ladies and gentlemen, then your team of experts for this afternoon. Who's got the first question, please?
8: Sally Aspin in Lower Peaver near Knutsford. We have a large dome-shaped holly tree in our hedge, clipped, uh, and very unfortunately, the water main burst underneath it and was obviously seeping for a while, so it nearly died because of the dampness around its roots. It's staggering back into life. Um, And we wonder whether it would be a good idea to cut it back hard, keeping its shape, but cutting it back probably by a foot all round in. And down, or whether to leave it to struggle back into life:
7: so the only thing that's been well watered over this summer you'd think it would be happy wouldn't you, but obviously not. it happened a couple of years ago in the very it's wet winter, so
8: not right. only did it get the wet winter, it also got the worst water main underneath yeah. it.
7: Has it got die back? Has it has it has died it back, back, back. But I think struggling. there's no point in keeping those bits, so I would definitely cut those because they might be places at that, that the start of um, disease getting in, so you definitely want to cut those off. Off, um, nice and cleanly. Um, I, I don't know about I, well, yeah, hard pruning. Holly is not a great. I, they, I mean, they will take it.
9: I mean, you could cut it six inches from the ground; it would probably re-sprout, But uh, any sort of pruning, on harder pruning, I'd definitely be doing sort of mid-spring next year. Right. And um, I would just shape it really. And I say the crucial thing is just to check those shoots straight with a pen knife. If they're creamy white and moist underneath, there's still potential life there. If it's dry and brown, well, it's, it's dead, and you can prune that out any time.
8: Well, it's, it's got uh, sort of leaves on the end of a lot of scraggy bits of twig sort of thing. It has got a sort of vague So there's covering, obviously covering life, away. but it's not very... But it used to be very... really dense and, and tight, and we wondered whether if we cut back whether the, the, the new bits would, you know, the bits that are alive would really spring into life and make yeah, it dense I mean, again. I mean, if
9: you're getting bare lengths of stem with growth on the end, if you want the bare stem to leaf up, you would need to cut it back. But again, timing's crucial. Yeah. Um, you know, probably about April next year Perfect. would be ideal. But the other yeah. thing I would say, even though it may have suffered from waterlogging, it might actually benefit from a, a bit of watering now. And the, the trick there, dig down with a spade to about a spade depth and just assess what the soil is like. Um, Waterlogging, uh, plants die because uh, literally there's no oxygen in the soil, so the, the roots actually die. And then, of course, the plant has no way of taking up water. So even if the soil dries out, which you think is good, it actually means the plant itself hasn't got as much root there to take that water up. Right. And, it, and even a holly will lose a lot of moisture in dry weather.
0: Uh, Roger Jump from Hesbank, Morecambe Bay. I'm told that Swiss Sicily is uh, a good thing to grow... And use with things like gooseberries to sweeten them, could you advise how to grow them and whether
6: there's some other alternative to sweet sicily or whether it's just a, a, an old wife's tale? Sweet sicily is, is my answer to every gardening question. Um, if you're looking for something to grow in shade, if you're looking for something that will come up early, if you're looking for something to go through the cycle of um, uh, life in a plant very quickly, it's sweet sicily and it, it's a wonderful herb that comes up and reminds you that spring is something that um, is going to occur every year. It it grows a lovely leafy fern-like herb that will get to maybe two to three feet, but often will stay a little bit lower than that and forms a kind of ferny platform. Flowers very early, and then very quickly, those flowers in spring will turn to seeds. Little... Battens about, I don't know, an inch, inch and a half long. All of the plant is edible, every part including the root. It has uh, a sweet aniseed flavour, and if you don't like aniseed, don't let that put you off sweet Sicily, because the scent is much more of aniseed, but the flavour is one of, of, of sweetness with a little bit of aniseed behind it, and it was very much used for, and still in my house and many others, used to Give the impression of sweetness. So you would have it with, um, you know, with rhubarb, with gooseberries, anything like that that was sharp, where you wanted to bring a bit of sweetness without adding sugar. Um, and I use it a lot now. Um, if I'm making rhubarb gin, as I have a weakness to do, um, a handful or two of um, sweet Sicily leaves in there, um, and, and it's it's wonderful. Now, the one thing it very much depends on your view of life, whether something is self-seeding, hooray, or self-seeding is a, is a downside. Um, but a, a, something that self-seeds to me is free plants, um, and I would much rather pick up the ones I don't want. Um, but if you collect the seed, it's viable for a year, it needs a period of overwintering. So the two ways to grow it are either to start with a young plant, which you can get any time now, or to get some seed from someone, um, but sow it you know, before winter comes, so that It has that overwintering coldness, and that will spark it up next year. The seed is only viable for a year, so again, be fairly confident about places that you're buying your seed from. But it's the easiest plant in the world. It grows in shade. It comes up early. It's delicious, unbuyable, all the reasons that I like to grow things.
10: Hello, Tess Cole. I'm in Oakham in Rutland. Um, I've got a two-part question. Culprit and what do I do with them? I've got some very healthy courgette plants. They're inside a netted cage because I thought it was birds. I get lovely flowers and I come down in the morning to water them and there's a lovely bud of a flower on the ground and a weeping stem and it's been cut off just behind the flower bud. I have not yet had a courgette. There's one trying to grow on a plant where it's been how missed. Do
6: you, how do you get on with your neighbours?
10: Um, ex- <laughs> extremely well, and they keep the chickens out of the way.
6: Right. I, 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 I have absolutely. I've never experienced the, that at it, all. The, the
10: bud is on on the floor, and the end is is like somebody's taken a knife to it.
6: So it's a sharp cut. It's a, you know, it's
10: a fl- it looks flat, right? and it's weeping. It's it's fairly fresh. It's happened overnight. It's not my husband, he says. Not a husband, that's good. He <laughs> yeah, It's nearly always husband <laughs> is, the,
6: is the biggest pest of the garden. I, 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 if it was a less tidy break, I might, you know, it might be a slug. It could be something like that. But it, it, for it to be such a clean one I, like that... I
10: can see no slug damage anywhere else. If it is, it's a very, very fussy slug that just looks like a tiny bit behind the flower.
5: Tony, have you, uh, could you yeah. shed any light I mean, on this?
9: Well, I'm not sure what that problem is, but certainly early... When courgettes first flower, as with all cucurbits, the cucumber family, a lot of the early flowers are just male and they just do fall away. And um, they can be quite a neat break behind the flower. And I think the other thing is, if the plants are a bit drought stressed, because again, going back to this watering issue, just getting enough
5: water on a courgette, again, is quite a task. Tony, how do you tell which are the male and the female flowers? Uh, well, uh, with difficulty, but you don't
9: really need to worry. But, uh, later on, if you look behind the flower, the female flowers will have a slight swelling there, which obviously develops into the, the courgette, or if it's squash, the squash or whatever. A courgette flower tends to look like a courgette flower, but that's, that's a giveaway, and you'll see that quite early on.
7: It's quite nice to know if you like to eat courgette flowers because you can pick the male ones and not affect the crop. Um, So look for the ones that don't have the swelling and, and use those if you're cooking.
5: Mark, amongst all the interesting vegetables that you grow, do you have any... Courgette substitutes that the
6: lady might be interested in. That's a good question. Um, no, nothing that ha- there's lots of things that have that kind of green, fresh taste. You know, like, you know, down, down. As I was saying, the, the the good King Henry stems that are quite like asparagus, come raw um, uh, courgette. They, they have that green flavour about them.
5: Could you just explain what good King Henry is and what it looks like?
6: It's a very early perennial fetch. It comes out really early. It loves um, it loves the shade. It comes up in in kind of pointy spears, a bit like asparagus, but then sort of unfurls and opens out into a kind of set of leaves that are usually sort of shield-shaped, I would say. Um, Really delicious, and it's great because it's a uh, two-crop thing to grow. So, you know, you can cut both, and and obviously you want to leave a few, but it's perennial again, like I can say it comes back really well early in spring. And the good thing about that is, obviously, that you need to... um, It's very nice to be... uh, reminded that spring is coming that it's all going to work
2: we have exactly the same problem with our courgettes not all of them i i think it's field mice
7: i wonder if when i plant my courgettes out in spring for the slugs and the snails to keep them away from the slugs and the snails i plant them into this sort of plastic collar which comes up and then goes out like that so it's quite hard for the slugs and snails to get up and i wonder if you know as it's a bit of a mystery it might be worth getting one of those over if it's not too big yet to just try and create a barrier to in case it is a mouse
5: i think the lady should go outside when it's quiet and hear, see if she can hear the sound <laughs> of field mice laughing <laughs> who's got our next question please colin Harrell, Nutsford, just two miles
2: away from here uh, i've got a problem with club Root. Is there anything I can do about it? Because I just can't grow brassicas anymore.
6: I, you, you have all my uh, condolences if you have club root. As you say, it, it will affect um, any brassicas. Any um, answers. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there, there, there's probably two. One is move. Club root is one of the reasons that we rotate veg. Um, and, the, and the trouble is, if, if club root has kind of followed the rotation around, you, you have few alternatives other than, I would say, if you can't move yourself, then you effectively need to move the soil. So I would... Be getting myself, uh, get yourself a new washing machine. Take the cardboard off the washing machine. Put the cardboard over the top of the affected ground. Sell the washing machine. Fill up on top of the cardboard with a, a nice depth of, of new compost and grow into that. Um, and, and effectively give yourself a new growing medium because clubroot is a nuisance and it's very very difficult to to get around that. Tell, tell us what clubroot looks like.
2: Uh, it, it's. Well, it's the root of the the cabbage or uh, Brussels sprout. Um, it looks as if it's rotten and it has an awful, awful smell. It's unmistakable,
6: i The devil is, it's quite persistent. You know, it will stay in the soil for a long time and that's, that's the nuisance of it. And that's why I would say if you can create a new bed, you know, either, you know, obviously excavating can be a right pain, but I would definitely put card there and then maybe um, grow in a layer of compost on the top or buy brassicas and grow something else. I don't know of anything that will eradicate it other than that.
5: Is there a way round it by, for example, trying to lessen the problem that it causes by uh, earthing up
6: Perhaps? I've, I've no idea at all. I, I, I've, I've, never, I've never suffered from it, so it's not been one of those things that I've had to... We didn't ask you here to brag. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have suffered all the other gardening ailments, pretty much. It is such a nuisance, and I'm so pleased that I've not had it. It is one of those, it is such a devil, because it persists, and, and that's why I would say you have to take relatively strong action. Um, if you've got another part of the garden that you could um, sequester as your new veg patch and grow something there that, in, in, the, in the club root affected area, that isn't a brassica then that would be wonderful.
9: Most of the seed companies offer a limited range of club root resistant brassicas. Uh, there's a few brussels sprouts, few, one cauliflower, a few cabbages, uh, I think a kale or two and again if you just check out the the seed suppliers um, they're resistant so that means they'll probably tolerate it to a certain degree. They're not proof against club roots the other thing, as with all brassicas, especially if you source acid or whatever, it pays to lime, uh, but liming is not just a case of bunging the lime on in the autumn. What you need to do, go to the RHS website, look up liming, and depending upon your soil, clay soils and sandy soils, they all need different amounts of lime according to their physical characteristics. But you'll get there some accurate figures for how much to apply uh, to, uh, square meter, square yard, and do that in the autumn, that will help. The other thing that may be useful, if you've got no other alternatives, is grow your transplants on in six-inch diameter pots until they're quite substantial. When you plant them in the ground, they'll still get club root, but at least you've got some root there. And as you were describing, the problem with club root is the fibrous root, which is the important root, is what's affected. There's nothing there, you've just got this literally club-like uh, appendages in the soil, which cannot take up nutrients or whatever, so you end up with this stunted plant. But those are things to try. And I guess the final solution would be raised beds of some sort. But again, you've got to be incredibly careful of not transferring contamination on your tools or your boots or whatever. So if you go through that trouble, uh, it does pay to treat that then as a really sort of a hygiene area.
7: The other thing, um, this is sort of Mark's department, really, but we mentioned earlier, is there a perennial alternative to courgettes? And there isn't particularly, but there really is to brassicas. And I think, you know, if you're doing all of these things to get things... Um, obviously you still would have the same problem with the perennial brassicas, but once you've got them established, you've got a lot lot fewer problems. So mm. what are the perennial alternatives to brassicas?
6: Yeah, there, there are, there's a perennial broccoli, Very which impressive. is nine-star broccoli, which is really good. There are some amazing perennial kales. I've got one... Which is about six feet tall. Um, it, they, they, I've got a few that are six feet tall. Um, they, they're like small trees, and they and they. My, I've got one seven years old. It's the um, Dorbenton's kale is a really good one. Um, there's, if you can find Sutherland kale, and it's a devil to find, but if you can find Sutherland kale, you pick the leaves and eat them, and they're sweet. They're like a really wonderful salad, but with a bit more substance. But just delicious really sweet delicious kale um, and then that will just keep producing all year round for years and years and uh, i've n- none of mine have ever got any of the club root did i mention i've never had club root <laughs> um but they're really good and they and they and they don't seem to suffer in the same way because they and for, they must have some inbuilt resistance because they're there for a long time and that's exactly what you don't get told to do with most brassicas who's got our next question please
4: hello my name chris and i come from in north yorkshire My question is, I have a shady area and I would like some colour for the summer. It's dry shade.
9: Dry shade is the most difficult gardening situation of all because if you go out into the wild and find areas of dry shade, you will usually find that they're pretty sparse in terms of uh, vegetation. It would be an area where there are specialist grasses and so on will actually grow in those conditions and indeed in ferns. And as you're here today, at the Tatton Park Flower Show. A great opportunity just to check out some of the specialist suppliers, because those are the people who can certainly uh, give you some ideas on this. I mean, for example, Japanese anemones, if you get them established, right, will grow well in dry shade. Uh, the crucial thing with anything you plant there is watering the first summer. Even drought-resistant things are only drought-resistant once they've got their roots established. I mean, the other way to tackle that is an awful lot, Is the shade from deciduous trees.
4: The shade's from a yeah. beech tree.
9: I must point out, even at Wisley, which I still find having been based there many, many, many years, is a fabulous garden. Under our big oak trees and so on, we plant a nice layer, about 15 centimetres, or if you like six inches, of bark around the whole tree beneath the canopy. Because even at Wisley, there are very few things that will grow in that level of shade. And under beech, if you go to beech woodlands, uh, you'll find that in this time of year, there is very little there because it is simply so extreme. And that's because oak and beech will cast a lot of shade, also a lot of leaf litter. Your best bet is to ignore summer, concentrate on spring, autumn, and grow bulbs which will flower at that time. Cyclamen Hedropholium will flower late summer into early winter. Cyclamen Coombe will pick up in January, February. And um, also, for example, if you check out the specialists, there are, for example, colchicums that will flower in January time. Um, So some of the specialist nurseries, we don't have even bulbs here today, I don't think, but they're often RHS shows. They will have uh, bulbs and so on which will flower throughout that sort of period. But the middle of summer, I think often you have to just give it a miss.
7: And there's, there's good reason for it, because in um, spring there is some light from, you know, the canopy hasn't fully formed yet, so things will flower underneath in dry shade underneath trees um, at that time of year. And then when the canopy forms, everything kind of just, set, you know, all of those bulbs will die down. So there are these moments in the year that are good for dry shade, and they tend to be spring and autumn, so it's kind of probably easier to go with nature and... Um, yeah, you know, go, go with the flow
5: there well that's all we have time for in today's special rhs gardening podcast recorded live at tatton you can find links to more information about all the problems and topics discussed on the podcast pages of the rhs website rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast so many thanks then to the panel thanks to tony thanks to mark and thanks to leah and if you haven't already Why not get tickets and come and visit this floral spectacular for yourself? It runs until the 22nd of July and ticket information can be found at rhs.org.uk. Until the next time, from me, Matthew Biggs, and all here in the Beehive Theatre, goodbye.